Morning, church. How are you guys doing? Good. God is so good to Word of Grace. He brings us people, even from within our church, builds them up, and we now have somebody who can pour into these kids all week long, and that will be the focus of their ministry. Not that they weren't being ministered to before, but now we have someone dedicated to the ministry of our high schoolers. Because when we look at our church in the broad scope of all the people that belong to our church, who is the most threatened bunch of people? It is our youth. Our youth are, are at the, the greatest potential to, to leave the church or go wayward. And Aaron is going to be in there ministering to them all week long. And I'm just so, so thankful to God for what he's doing in this and thankful for his discernment and, and just thankful for everyone that is in the youth ministry that pours into that. So thank you so much. It is also good to be gathered around God's word each week, around his word, around the worship of our risen Savior. And as we come in to church each week, we should not see this as a weekly obligation, but we should see this as a weekly blessing, an opportunity to come in and be strengthened as a church, come together as community, dive in deep, learn and read about God's word, and then worship our Lord who has given us so much in addition to saving us from our sin forever. So when we have that posture and we come into church that way, our reason for being here is then authentic. We have an authentic reason for being here. And that when we leave here and our Jesus time for the day is over, that isn't over. We need to have devotion to Christ all throughout the week, day in, day out. And that's what we're going to dive into today. And we're also going to look at how God loves and delights in us coming to him and how we also need help to do so, that we cannot do this on our own. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and get them out, whether paper or digital. We're going to be going over to John chapter 6. We're not going to just be there. We have a whole bunch of text today, so we're going to have to kind of run through pretty quickly so that you guys get out of here by 1 (laughs) o'clock. Kidding. I think. First service was Okay, so we'll see. Maybe 1230 or so. But what an awesome, extensive, and way to read this week, right? This thing was loaded with good text. So let's get into it. So on August 2008, in August of 2018, the southern Indian state of Kerala, V, I see you in here, you can correct me on the pronunciation after service, um, they had a 100-year flood. And it was monsoon season, and normally it rained that time of year, in this area, but what the problem was is there was just a tropical wave after tropical wave that just inundated this area with rain. And the flooding was so severe that there was landslides and homes and people were swept away. In fact, greater than 480 people were killed by the floods. And then when the water receded, there was just massive devastation in its wake. Now, we're going to have to take a moment and stop. I'm going to have to explain something to you because if I'm going to be one of your pastors, you need to understand this about me. I'm a, I'm a weather geek. I have an interest in weather. Maybe bizarre, but I've always been interested in weather, even since a young child. I've just been interested in the science of it. But now I'm also a person that's acutely aware of the text in Job 37, starting in verse 5. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things we cannot comprehend. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth, likewise to the downpour, his mighty downpour. God tells the weather to do what he pleases. Regardless of our understanding 
of that science. But it is awesome how God has given humans the ability to have an understanding of the ways his creation works, at least an understanding to our human abilities, which is certainly limited. The world stands on science and says, how can there be a God where we should stand with God and go, thanks God for the ability to have science and understand just how complex your world is. It took us 6,000 years to understand that tropical waves centered around the equator can cause flooding like what happened in Kerala in 2018. It took God just six days to speak all of existence into creation with no error. God up here, human down here. And as we get into the text today, we need to have that on our minds and continue to think about the sovereignty and the position at which God really is in this universe. God is glorified and sovereign over all. So now let's head back to our history lesson. There were many areas that were flooded and cut off from the flooding. And the flooding was so significant that there were areas of land that were literally removed from their original place, creating new rivers, and then bridges and roads were, were washed out. So there was people that were stranded in isolated areas that were far from any food or nourishment that they might, might have needed to have. And between them was this rushing torrent, this rushing river, that if they were to fall into it, they would have surely died. It would have been unsurvivable. And the people on the safe side, they wanted desperately to rescue these people. So desperately that they did, they affected, it went into building bridges with the resources that they brought to the rescue mission. And after these bridges were built, the people that needed rescue didn't automatically just float across these bridges. The bridges seemed scary. They potentially seemed like they could fall over the side or into the torrent of river and be swept away. They seemed unsafe, but what they didn't know is that they were very secure. And still others that were on this isolated side said, you know what, I don't need to go over that bridge. I can do it on my own. I, I, got, I got abilities. I, I think I can make it. I'm going to find some food eventually and I'll be all right. I don't need rescue. I don't need to go across. But what they didn't know is there was nothing there for them. If they would have stayed, they would have died. Now, by God's grace, all the people went. And as they committed to walking across the bridge to safety, they were pulled across into the rescuing arms of the rescuer, and they were safe. And once they were on dry ground and their footing was secure, they were safe from the floods. The rescuers could care for them and give them information that they needed to stay safe. This is where you go. This is where to get food that you need to live. Our outline today is there's a problem, there's a barrier, there's a way, and we are secure. And the title of this message is Secure in Him. So let's dive in. A lot of text to get through today. We're starting in John 6, 1 through 9. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. 
Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? So the beginning of this chapter gives us context as to when this book might have been written. We see that the Sea of Galilee is also being called the Sea of Tiberias. So that tells us that that is probably the time frame of 70 to 100 A.D. And when we see things in Scripture like this, they need to remind us that these are the implications of a very real world occurring at the time this Scripture was written. These aren't just fairy tale stories thrown in a book. These are true stories that are written in world history. So we don't just gloss over notes like this that we see a difference in a C being called a different name. We go, yeah, they started to call it that differently at that time period. And the other side note with this story is this is the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all four Gospels. So now as we track down to verse 5, the problem becomes apparent. And Jesus asks a probing question of Philip. But Jesus wasn't asking this question because he didn't know what to do. It wasn't a problem for him. He has dominion over the earth. This wasn't going to be a problem for him. But it was a problem for the people in this story. There was a mass of people that were hungry and they needed to feed them. And Philip takes the bait here, right? And we can expect this because Jesus asked this question for purpose. And it was Jesus' intention with the question. And we see right away that Philip's brain is wired to think, yeah, we don't have enough food to feed these people. And we could not have enough money to buy enough food to feed these people. In fact, eight months worth of wages wouldn't even be enough to buy even just one little bite for these people. The human is bent towards thinking that we have the ability to fix things. And it's easy to breeze over these miracles that we've been hearing since, I'm sure a lot of us have been hearing this story of feeding of the 5,000 since we were young children. And we start to almost look at these like children's stories or fairy tales, just Bible stories that we heard at one time. But this is truth. And we should be thankful to God for it because it shows us a parallel between this story and our depravity. So we thank God for this text this morning and for teaching us through it. Andrew comes in next with another solution. He's likely been going about the crowd looking for things to gather up to feed everyone. And once again, the human solution comes up a bit short. Five loaves of bread, two fish. The problem is they don't have enough resources to feed the hungry. Now here's a different angle on the problem from another text, Matthew 19, 16 through 22, the rich young man. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witnesses. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you'd be perfect, go. 
Sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The man in this story is clearly sincere in his question to Jesus. First, he comes to Jesus, and secondly, he's respectful in the manner in which the question was raised. But the problem is sadly that the man has the wrong idea. The first thing he asks is, what must I have for eternal life? Now, we can see that he desired rescue. He knows he needs rescue. But the bad part about this is he thinks he needs to do something for eternal life. So Jesus right away moves into teaching and immediately debunks the man's idea of what is good. And there is only one that is good, and it is not us this morning, church. And we have this false notions in our faith journey that if we just live a certain way and do things a certain way, we can be saved. I love you, church. But you got to know this morning you need to get rid of that belief that you can do something to earn salvation. Your lifestyle, coming to church once a week, listening to Christian music, or reading and half-heartedly believing a story that a man named Jesus came to earth and died and rose again is not going to buy you salvation. Matthew 8.29 shows us that even the demons believed that Jesus was the Son of God. The problem is, is that we're born sinful. and We're separated from God at birth. And there's no work or no way humans can conjure up being saved. The problem is our original The deadly problem is our original human condition is completely and totally depraved from sin. Initially now, if you read it, this story has us thinking, yeah, there's a way for us to earn salvation. It clearly states, if I follow the commandments and sell everything to the poor, I'll be saved. There's more to this story, and we're going to get there. But right now we're faced with the problem and subsequent eternal torment and punishment if we cannot be saved from the problem that was born into existence in Genesis chapter 3 at the fall of man. We have a problem, but sadly, we also have a barrier to cross. And this is made clear in our text over the last week as well. John 6, 22 through 26. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Verses 22 and 23 show us a distinct connection back to the story of the feeding of the 5,000. So after Jesus did that incredible miracle, the people were like, Wow, this guy's great. We need to forcibly make him king. Well, Jesus, knowing that, retreated to isolation. But now see the next day, They went from that to calling Jesus rabbi, and Jesus calls them out. He immediately calls them out for coming to Jesus for the wrong reasons. They wanted their earthly desires fed. 
They were chasing after food that spoils and only satisfies the flesh, and flesh that would one day pass away and be no more. The barrier seen here in this text is that we are infatuated and in love with the wrong things. We strive our whole lives going for that American dream, trying to get more things and different things, and we're not satisfied with this, so we get that. And we're pulled into the things of this world, and we try to satisfy ourselves. And then some of us come near Jesus because we have the wrong motives. Sometimes we feel pressured by family members or friends, while others, we may be trying to look like the super Christian amongst our group of friends. And the next text is going to be a massive wake-up call to us, especially as American Christians. Matthew 19, 22 through 25. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? So the first thing we might be doing is sitting in our seats going, Thank goodness I'm not rich. This doesn't pertain to me. Whew. That would have been convicting. And then you're looking around the room for the rich person or the person you think that may be rich. But let me tell you, church, people in here, online, everybody, if you were born in America and you live in America, you hit the jackpot. No matter what your social status is, what your financial status is, you are rich. You are the person in this text. And the trouble is, we die. The earth passes away, and those things that we strived a whole lifetime for, they don't matter. Some of us, it takes 90 to 100 years, while others, it can happen in the blink of an eye. It was 2012, late July, summer day. The sunlight had gone from that high noon white light to that late in the day, orangish yellow light. And I was on the paramedic unit that day working, and we got dispatched to a truck versus car accident. And when we got on scene, we just saw a horrific incident with a car that had been rear-ended by a truck at a high rate of speed, and the truck made it most of the way through the back seat. And sparing you guys the details, the patient in the back seat, despite our efforts to extricate and remove them from the vehicle and treat them, did not survive. And I have countless more yet unforgotten stories of the same thing happening to adults and children alike. But looking back on these events now as a saved man, I see these moments so much different now. They're still sad, still difficult, unforgotten, but they hold so much more weight. And by God's grace, they don't impact me negatively anymore either. And I look at all these tragedies now through the lens of eternity, knowing full well I don't know the destination of the souls of my deceased patients. Church, our time here is short. And more frighteningly, we know that we are depraved in our sin. We know we're born sinful. And if you didn't know it, you do know it now, because 15, 10, 15 minutes ago, we just talked about that. So everybody in here and online, you are now aware that you are born sinful, completely separated from God. 
And unless we come up for a, unless God comes up with a solution for the problem, we are going to be judged accordingly for this problem. We don't bring possessions with us when we die. The desire to inflate our riches will deflate our desires for Christ. Our barriers now, they go beyond this, though. They go beyond our infatuation with stuff. Unrepentant sin removes our ability to fully surrender to Christ and choose him. And I'm specifically saying this this morning because it, it is something I needed to hear before I chose to believe in Jesus, truly believe in him, and follow him before my heart could be changed. Hearing that illuminated truth for me, and I'm praying it illuminates truth for someone else in here this morning. We are called to not only faith in Jesus and his work on the cross, but we are called to repentance. And it would take me all morning to go over scripture and review scripture that supports this. It is not just believing, because we saw back in Matthew that even the demons believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Acts 3.19 Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sin may be blotted out. We must turn away from our sin and repent of our sin and submit to the authority of Jesus. And the word repent here in Acts is the Greek word metanoia. And it means to change one's mind, but it goes further than that. It means to turn back to God. So you might be sitting there today, half in, half out, not fully devoted to Christ without a changed heart. And you're sitting there deeply rooted in sin that is shameful and embarrassing and difficult to come clean with or come out of. Guys, this is the rushing river. This is the torrent of water that we need to get across. We don't have a bridge. We can't rescue ourselves. We don't have the means. And we need rescue. I beg of you today, church, call out to him that he would help you cross this bridge. Come out of your sin and repent. Do not, come, do not continue to wallow in your sin day after day, repeated in it, and not repentant. That will keep you from Christ. You cannot afford to sit there either and saying, I think this is just something I'll take to my grave. Because unrepentant, habitual sin will keep you from Christ, and it is deadly. Through true repentance comes an authentic belief in Jesus. And the last part of this text in verse 25 is the question of the day. And it reads, When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. This is the answer. This is the hope. This is what we got to cling to. Salvation is a supernatural gift from God through the power of Jesus' death and resurrection. We can't do it on our own. So when we sit there half in and half out, not truly devoted, shameful in our sin, that we can't get out, our first 
line of action today needs to be a prayer to God that he would help you get out of this sin and repent of it and turn to him. It is a supernatural gift. And coming to authentic belief in Jesus is a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. John 6, 27. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him, in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives to me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now I know what you might be thinking. Pastor Spencer, you just said we have to do more than believe, and very clearly in verse 40, it says that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Yes. The word believes in verse 35 is the Greek word pistao, which is the same word when we describe the disciples' belief in John 2.11. This is the first of his signs. Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. We look at the word believe in our language, and especially in our American society, we look at believe, and it means believing is seeing, or we can come in and out of the practice of believing in something. But for context today, in this word, pistao, believe, think about the belief that the disciples had, the great belief that they had. They gave up everything to follow Jesus. They gave up their families, their homes, their jobs, and 10 out of the 11 of them gave up their lives for Christ. They were truly devoted to him. That is what pistao, that is what believe means. And I want to make it clear that you don't have to be dying a martyr's death to be saved. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is look at the disciples and the way they followed Christ. That is the way we are asked. And this is a lot of what Pastor Stephen talked about last week when he said that we need to take up our cross and follow him. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, if you're half in, And half out, not sure where you stand, 
The answer to that is in verse 40, and the hope of it is in verse 35. The Greek word, histau, believe, truly believe. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If you come to me, you're not going to hunger or thirst. You're going to have everything you need if you follow him. And the task cannot be done ourselves. We cannot do this on our own power. Verse 36, but I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. These people are literally standing in front of Jesus after he just fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're like, can you show us a sign? And actually, it wasn't even 5,000. It was probably 15,000 because there's women and children in there too. And they don't believe. This is not on our own. And that's why today, if you're sitting there, again, not truly devoted to God with a changed heart, you are getting an incredible gift today to hear God's word and choose him. And it can be uncomfortable, and it can be scary to cross that bridge. Yes, you're going right over that rushing river. But you need to cross the bridge and surrender to Christ and choose true belief in Jesus. And that is why our prayer that the Holy Spirit would step in and transform us from the inside out needs to be the first line of action this morning. And once you choose life, I can promise you, you will never be the same. There are so many people in here this morning that can tell you stories of how God worked supernaturally in their life to change their heart, and they were saved like a light switch. Blink of an eye, changed. New person. While others can tell you a story, amazing story, how they were discipled as a young child, growing up in a Christian home, and the parents poured into them spiritually, and they followed Jesus and, and are still following Jesus, devoted to him today. While the other amazing story that you'll hear is that maybe in elementary or, or high school or even into their adulthood, that they started to hear the truth and understand the truth and slowly but surely God worked in their lives and transformed them and they are still being sanctified to this day by God's word. Regardless of the story, God is glorified in this and heaven rejoices. Luke 15, one through seven. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in open country and go after one that he has lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost." Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. When you choose Jesus, repent of your sin, come to him, cross the bridge, and have chosen to reach for the rescuer, heaven rejoices. 
This is not an isolated event where no one is aware. Heaven is very aware of this decision and this working of God in you. And there is much rejoicing in heaven, and God is delighted in you coming to him, and it glorifies him. And as a church, we need to come around new believers and strengthen them and encourage them and rejoice with them. Because as believers, we understand the implications of not following Jesus. So all the more reason to come around them and celebrate their new faith in Christ. Now for time's sake, I'm going to summarize the next text. It's going to be John 6, 45 through 65, prior to our next reading. So you guys all have a little context as to what's going on in our next chunk of scripture. So Jesus just got done telling the people chasing him that they need to eat Jesus' flesh and drink his blood in order to have eternal life. Now Jesus is once again speaking to true devotion to him. And he's not speaking to communion because that would mean that we could do something to get forgiveness. And we believe that forgiveness is a work of Christ alone through faith alone. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God. But ultimately see the imagery here of being in such close relationship with Jesus that his flesh and blood becomes part of you. And this would reflect everything, how we act, what we say, what we do with our time. How we appear as a whole would be a complete reflection of how deep our relationship with Christ is. And we follow Jesus like he is the sustenance to every bit of our life, just like food and drink are to our flesh. Now, as to be expected, if you have unbelief and your teacher comes to you and tells you to cannibalize him, you're going to run away. This shows us, though, they weren't truly of him. They couldn't understand. They couldn't see the truth that he was speaking to them. They couldn't hear the truth. The difference, verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life and we have believed and have come to know you that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is the devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Now remember, these are the twelve that truly believed. Pistau. And Jesus goes, well, everyone else left. Are you going to go too? And they answer with the most amazing question and response. Lord, to whom shall we go? And church, let that be our response today. To where else should we go? Jesus is the bread of life. He is everything that we need. We will never hunger or thirst if we come to him. There is nowhere else to go. And when we choose Jesus and follow him, when we surrender our flesh and live for Christ, we are secure in him. We have been pulled across the bridge and we are on that safe, dry ground. John 6, 37 through 40, once more, let's be reminded, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will 
of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. We might be sitting there asking, well, does this really mean that once I've chosen Christ, I'm kept forever? Well, let's first go to Scripture and look at who we're not talking about. 1 John 2.19. Uh, 2, they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. Matthew 15, 8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew 7, 23. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. The text starting in John 66 666 shows us true belief. They got it. They knew there was nothing else in life that they needed. So they answer, Lord, to where else are we going to go? You, you are everything. We don't need anything else. These men showed that they were truly born again with a changed heart, devoted to Christ. John 10, 27 through 30 applies to them. Church, I pray that it applies to us this morning. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So now you might be asking, how does this happen? This guy up on stage is bonkers. He is telling me that we're robots and we can't have any free will of our own. Yes, we have free will according to God's purpose and glory. And when we look at John 6, starting in verse 70, we see this clearly. Jesus chose Judas as a disciple, but he was not a part of Jesus. And actually, Judas' evil was used for the redemption of all mankind. God didn't choose him to be evil or put it on him or in him, but Judas' will to be evil and betray Jesus was purely in the will of God. And let's look to scripture here to confirm this. This won't be up on the board. Acts 4, 27 through 28. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Acts 2, 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And this should be all the more shocking when we look at Judas, at Judas's outward appearance. So Judas was one of the 12. He was a Jesus follower. He looked pretty good. He seemed to be devoted. He was, all at, Je he was at all of Jesus's teachings, church services. He did all the churchy serving kind of things. He even hung out with other Jesus followers, Christians. And the scariest thing is he looked 
like a super Jesus follower. He looked like a super Christian. This guy was one of the 12. But he was of the devil. He got the ball rolling on killing the son of God. Church, search your heart today. Is your heart transformed in Christ? Is your heart changed? Is your heart truly been born again, fully devoted to following Christ? Have you truly decided to follow Jesus or is following Jesus just an intellectual matter for you? And then we answer the question about how does this work? How am I secure in him? Well, we're secure in him by his grace and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us that we remain in his truth and his word. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 12. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Christians, we must be careful to understand this text and the other teachings that we've just been talking about, that this doesn't mean that because God's got me, I just sit back and I go, I'm good. God's got me. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to be productive in my faith or seek after God and his word or pray because he's got me. That idea would be deadly to your soul. But if you're truly born again, you're not going to have that posture because you know the truth. You see the truth. That full devotion to God means seeking after him and doing these things listed in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. This continues to be a difference of hearts. The one that has truly changed, the one that follows after Christ, and the one that hasn't. Christians, we have hope today that through God's power, we have perseverance until the end. We have the hope and perseverance through the divine call and power of God. We have two clear messages today in here, church. For those in, half, half in, half out, not fully devoted to Christ, with an unchanged heart, come across the bridge today. Call out to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin and choose life. Choose a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we know now, this is a supernatural gift from God, one that we cannot earn on our own. We need to be prayerful that he would help us. Help us turn away from our sin. Help us be devoted. If you have that stirring inside of you, that you want to do this, this is someone you want to follow, you need to be prayerful that he would work inside of you and bring you across the bridge to rescue And then when you do this, when your heart is born again, you are secure in him. And for those of us who have been born again in Christ, 
like me, you realize that the struggle's real. It is tough following him. It is tough staying out of sin and, and, and not turning away and getting in the word and being continually prayerful and mindful that God is at work in our lives. This is hard and the world is pulling us this way and that way and Satan is persistent in his attacks. But Christian, today, see the hope of eternal life. And that remember, in the struggle, he keeps us till the end through his power of the Holy Spirit. That we know the truth and we're in the word. And we are thankful for him that we don't have to do this on his own, on our own. That by his power, we have the ability to persevere. Stay in his word, pray for help, and stay devoted to him. We are secure in him. Church, can you please stand? God, I pray right now, let your truth sit on our hearts this morning. Let us not depart from here with an unaffected heart. Let us not depart from this place today without the impact of your truth on our lives. God, we pray that you would work supernaturally in our lives to transform us. For those who have not truly devoted their lives to you, Jesus, I pray right now that their hearts would be stirred to repentance and devotion to you. God, I pray for all of us this morning that require the perseverance you promised to us. Give us an affection for your word and put Christians around us that can encourage us in you. God, we thank you for your goodness and grace in our lives. God, I bless these men and women today as they go out and make an impact for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.